friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. series on discipleship begins with beholding, as we said this morning, Skyline, our um, identity here, our vision values is all summed up in that statement. We're a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. So we want to do this series to allow you to see into what do we mean when we say disciple-making and what are we building our disciple-making on, because that's really important, um, right? And uh, Greg Dewey, when he and Todd Lovelace really started this church, I don't know where they heard this phrase, but they, they kept uttering this phrase, what you win them with is what you win them to, Right, so if you win somebody with this proposition, that's what they'll think this whole thing is about, and they'll live into that way of being, right? And so in the church with Skyline, we were really careful what we were trying to invite people into, what we were trying to win them with, because we knew that whatever, however they came into the church, they would imbibe that and think, this is the way I'm supposed to be. So with disciple-making, we want to make sure it's built on this foundation of relationship to Jesus, this loving relationship, looking at him, worshiping him, and everything else flows out of that. Um, and here's just a key thing, I think, just really practically, and this is especially for those of us who have children or teenagers. Um, I think what I found, so I was a youth pastor for 10 or 12 years before I came to Skyline, and now we've done this. Greg and, and Todd, uh, I worked for them in youth ministry, so they did youth ministry even longer, and we had the pain of watching hundreds of kids come through our ministry and watching them go off to college and lose their faith. Like, walk away from their faith, and it's literally like these years of investment just dissipated. Um, and now there's some of that you can't help, like you can't, you know, there's no magic bullet, there's no killer app, there's no hack, you know, into making that perfect. But I think what I've realized over the years is that much of what the church has been doing with teenagers is building an intellectual foundation in them. Like, I don't know how many of you noticed, like all these things started popping up, like worldview academies and send your kid here to get all the right knowledge so they'll know all the right things so they can go off to college and, you know, combat their professor. And I'm like, you're sending an 18-year-old off to combat a philosophy professor who has a PhD and 40 years of teaching. And it's amazing that one semester in a philosophy class can tear down the entire intellectual foundation you built in your child. There's all, because they get isolated, they're alone, they're afraid, they're, they're kind of a minority, and they just get pummeled with this knowledge. And so what I've seen as we've pursued uh, this identity of being a worshiping community, that rather than building an intellectual foundation, if you build an affectional foundation in someone, affection, if your first connection to Jesus is love, he loves me and I love him. An affectional foundation is really hard to break 
And those of you parents who have walked through your kid dating someone you didn't want them to date, you know this, right? You're like, it's really tough when your kid loves someone to tell them not to love them. Because then if you tell them not to love them, they're a martyr, which is even better for love. You're like, oh, oh. so how many of you watched the movie Dan in real life? Anybody old school? I love Steve Carell. His, his daughter, teenage daughter falls in love with this boy. They have this big fight, blah, blah, blah. He, he sneaks in to meet him. He catches them making out. He sends the kid off. And her, his daughter chases him off in the car and falls into leaves and just is weeping. And she turns around as her boyfriend drives off and she's like, you're a murderer of love. <laughs> and it's just like it's so funny because this dad, he's so defeated because she doesn't know you. But it's just like, man, it's amazing that when you attach affection to something, how hard it is to break. So our goal in this church is to build any intellectual foundation we want to build to build it on top of an affectional one. We want people to connect to Jesus with their heart. That's why God said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. I mean, it's really important he put that first, heart, mind, soul, strength, with everything you are, but start with your heart because your heart leads you into the world. Um, the things that are on your heart, you don't have to convince yourself to do. So in, in high school, my heart was given to basketball. So guess what? You didn't have to try very hard to get me to watch NBA games and memorize statistics and collect cards and play because I loved basketball. So what we love leads us into the world automatically. And so we want to do that here. We want to build an, an affectional foundation in you. And that starts with this coming to know God in reality, beholding him, seeing him, encountering him. So that's why we believe discipleship begins with beholding, because we believe the best way for you to build a lifelong faith is for you to come to actually know Jesus to know him um, in all the roles that he is, savior, master, Lord, friend, brother, all these titles that he gives himself. Uh, and so uh, before we kind of move on into today's topic, um, I, I wanna recap just kind of what we've been saying and these kind of statements that we're building on because I think they matter. There's key words in here that matter that we want you to really take to heart and start to build in your own discipleship with Jesus, build these words into this. So, so here's a statement that we've said in the last few weeks. Discipleship must begin with the knowledge of God and the revelation of his beauty in the person of Jesus. Discipleship has to begin with the knowledge of God, not the knowledge that comes from words on a page, but the knowledge that comes from knowing a person. Like a person that you know, you know the sound of their voice, you know, um, like when you know somebody, you can tell when they're mad, even when they're faking it, right? You're like, I just know, I know your face. You're trying to act like you're not mad, but you are. So let's just get it out. Let's talk. Like, you know, you, I know this person. I know their idiosyncrasies. Right? I know the things they'll laugh at. Like I know the things that Annie thinks are funny. Like her and her mom share this kind of thing about like inappropriate humor, like really makes them giggle. They know they shouldn't laugh, but they laugh really hard. And then it makes you laugh. Even, you know, so like planes, trains, and automobiles is like the, the famous movie in their family that her mom like fell off the couch laughing so hard, but then probably had to deny to all of her Southern Baptist friends that she'd seen the film, right? It's like, oh, what are you talking about? Ah, let's see. You know, so I, I love that when you know somebody, it's not just about like abstract theoretical knowledge. It's real life knowledge. It's real heart knowledge. Discipleship, another statement, begins with the people of God corporately beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus. 
So this is really fascinating because I think most of you have grown up in places where you would say discipleship begins individually in your individual pursuit of God, your individual Bible study, your individual prayer. And I think the Bible actually tells a different story. I think it tells a story of God constantly gathering a group of people he would call a family together to behold him. That was his purpose, that we would be his people. He's like, you would be my people and I would be your God. He's always calling people. He's always calling families. My, my grandpa would always say, God doesn't call uh, individuals into ministry. He calls families. Because guess what? If one person in your family gets called into God's ministry, you're all going to get implicated. <laughs> You're all a part of this journey for good and bad. So God uh, wants us to corporately behold him. And then our corporate experience, encounter, revelation actually fuels the individual revelation, the individual pursuit. Um, and so that means that, that we don't get in this place where we can have a private walk with God where we no longer need the church. Like where we're like, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. That's like saying, I love Jonathan, but I hate Annie. And I'm like, you don't love me. If you don't love my wife, we're one. So, so if you don't want to be around here, that means you don't want to be around me because we, we don't do anything separate. I have no life apart from her. So it's like package deal. Jesus is like, you want me, you want the church. You get the, you get the whole basket. Discipleship cannot be reduced to the acquisition of information or behavior modification. This is really, really key. Your maturity in Jesus is not about how much you know. And it's not about how good you are at following the rules. Because there's lots of people who are good at following the rules. Jesus says, uh, with their lips they praise me, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus sees to the heart. Discipleship isn't just about acquiring information or about changing your behavior, but most of us have experienced discipleship ministries, which is why we usually have an aversion to like discipleship. It's been about like memorize and know all this stuff, the right things about the right things, say the right things, all the answers, right? And then it's about change your behavior in these ways or you won't be accepted here, right? We'll, We'll start to push you to the outside if you can't be good at being good. And I don't know about you guys, but I was like one of those guys, I struggle to be good at being good. I'm just like, I'm naturally squirrely. I'm naturally like, I struggle to get my life in order, all that stuff. It's just, I've just, it's taken me longer, right? And so thank God for a community of grace that says, we have time for you to get your life in order. We're patient with you. You're going to, God will help you figure this out. It's not my role to force you into these things. It's actually his role to reveal himself to you to where you want to change. And that want, that changes is what actually starts to fuel the change in your life. Last week, Chase, beholding beauty produces fascination. So when we behold God, we see that he's beautiful. And whether you behold him in his word or you behold him in the Holy Spirit or in a vision or a picture or an experience with another person and God just, he just floods you with like a revelation about his nature but it, it, it's beautiful, and that produces fascination in the same way that young people fall in love. You see a girl across campus or across church, or as Annie, she said, I saw a cute single guy on stage at Skyline. I was like, oh. She was like, the first thing I noticed is you didn't have a ring on. And I was like, good eye, because that's like, 
a pretty, that was a pretty good ways away, right? And so then I noticed her and we noticed each other noticing each other. And then what happens? It's this fascination of who is this person? Facebook, Instagram, you just start digging, right? You're like, now, now you can actually find stuff out about people without them knowing. Um, so, so it creates this fascination and fascination is the best way to transform a person. So one author put it this way. He said, uh, I love the title of the book is The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. If you want to replace a misdirected love, you don't go after it head on because that'll put up a wall. The way you do is you introduce them to something better to love. And that new love replaces the old slowly but surely. We begin to love this new thing that shows up. And so fascination, you become fascinated with Jesus. And then you start to transform. And this book that we've been reading, um, that we've read, that's really changed our view. It had this quote, it's impossible to disciple someone who is not fascinated with Jesus. And I'll, I'll just tell you, as a pastor, one of the hardest things to do is try to disciple people who aren't fascinated with Jesus. Because then you get into just information and try to changing behaviors. But if you're fascinated with a person, what, what do you do? You just start to say, what do I have to do to win that girl's heart? And you start saying like, all right, I got to start working out. I got, I mean, guys like, I got to start going to church. I got to get my life together. I got to be, make better grades. I need, and you know what happens? They just start checking the, you know, all the stuff their mom was like, you got to do all this stuff. They're like, ah, mom. And then a girl shows up and it's like, bing, 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 bing. Like all these boxes start getting checked because they're fascinated with a person and it starts to change them from the inside. Another quote, many times we try to convince people to be like God when they have not beheld him, right? So you're trying to make them like a person they've never seen, they've never met. The point is that people would meet Jesus, get fascinated with him, and then want to be like him, right? Psalms 27, 4 says, one thing I ask, and this I seek, that I would see your beauty, that I could gaze upon your beauty in the temple and inquire. It's like, I love David's heart. He got fascinated with the revelation of who God was. And he's like, this is the one thing I want with my life is to continually come into contact with your presence, to see you, to gaze on you, and then to inquire. Because in your presence is a wisdom that I cannot find in any other place. I want to see you, gaze on you, look on you. If we gaze together at the beauty of God and see him as he is, it will confront our behavior and lead us to become like him. How many of you, uh, maybe not a raise of hands because this person might be in here, but maybe in your heart, raise your hand. How many of you confronted somebody in the last year or two about their behavior? How did it go? Did it go well? It happens sometimes. You confront somebody and they're like, oh, thank you for telling me. Most times somebody's like, hey, I want you to tell me your blind spots. And I start running the other way now. So I'm like, you don't want me to tell you your blind spots. I've made that mistake. Because I actually bleep. I'm like, oh, I'm really good at this. <laughs> Let me tell you your blind spot. And they just get angry and it ruins your relationship. But the cool thing is if you have a place where people can come into contact with Jesus, he will confront their behavior. And he will take over the leadership of their life and you get to participate in it and just kind of walk alongside them and pray for them and listen to them and talk to them. But you're not in charge of their behavioral change. Jesus takes the lead. But so many times in church, what you find is just tons of confrontation about behavior. And then, you know what we end up doing? We end up spending all of our time confronting each other's behavior instead of all of our time looking at him. 
worshiping him, thanking him, praising him, seeking him. And I, I just want to say, if you've been a part of one of those churches, I, I have, I'm sorry, because that is exhausting. And it's painful and it's harmful when you feel like the only thing you care about is all of my screw-ups. You just keep on me. But, you, but it's like the Pharisees. Jesus says, what are you Pharisees who tie up heavy loads on other people's backs and never lift a finger to help them? It's always like, man, I'm getting loaded down. Oh, you finished that one? Let me give you another thing to work on. <laughs> right? And you're like, ugh. Rather than God leading us gently. So 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 says, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This is so cool. The veil is taken away. You actually get to see him. Now the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Isn't that beautiful? So when you turn to Jesus and you look to him, he takes away this veil so that you can see him clearly. And then what do you get in return? You get freedom. You don't get loaded down with now a bunch of stuff to do. He says, I'm actually going to free you from all that stuff, all the performance, all the guilt, all the shame, all of your pride, all of your ego. I'm going to relieve you of all those things. You'll be free in me. It says, uh, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. So what happens as you look at Jesus, as you see him, as you behold him, all these words, you start to be transformed in your heart. It's this mysterious, miraculous thing that I can't explain how or why it works. I just know it does. I've watched it for the past five years, just getting people to Jesus, letting them encounter his presence and goodness, and they begin to change. And it's so freeing for you. Like, how's it going at Skyline? I was like, I am so free right now because I spend zero time trying to manipulate or control or cajole people into doing things. Either for Skyline or for God, I have just released, like, God, if you want somebody to do something, you know them, you'll tell them. And if I think something for somebody, I just start praying. I'm just like, I'm just going to start praying for them because God knows what they need. So worship here is the foundation of our church because worship is about beholding the Father, Son, and Spirit in their reality. This beholding is the foundation of relationship with God and thus the foundation of, of discipleship, which means actually worship is the fundamental act of discipleship. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to be a worshiper. He said it in John 4. He says, right, the Father is seeking worshipers. That's what he tells the woman at the well. I love He's like, you've had five husbands and, and, and in this thing, you're going to think I'm going to make you feel guilty, but actually you might be the closest person in the kingdom right now because your heart knows you can't do all the stuff you're supposed to do. But guess what? He doesn't need all that right now. All he needs from you is your heart. He wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. So we're a worshiping community because this is where we see God. Um, we see God and begin to be transformed. So today we're moving from, we've done beauty. We've done kind of this idea of beholding um, Chase, uh, Chase's uh, sermon is fantastic on beauty. So what he does is he stirs this foundation. And what happens is he stirs, uh, sorry, I found it. He stirs fascination and brings out of us a love for him that's transformational. And this love for him begins to produce delight. Anything you love, you delight in. And this is a core of discipleship, is Delight. The Westminster Catechism says this about our purpose. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Not just in the future, but to enjoy him now. We were made to delight in God. 
And I just started contemplating this. I was like, I wonder how many people have engaged in a discipleship program that had delight at its center. Not discipline, right? Not, not performing, not memorizing, not doing all this stuff, but actually delight. So uh, when Jesus was a little boy, the first scripture uh, Jewish boys would memorize was a scripture in the Psalms that says, your words are sweeter than honey. And each little boy would get a dab of honey on their tongue so that they would remember and they'd connect the sensation of sweetness with the word of God. Your words are sweeter than honey. They wanted them to delight in God's word, as the psalmist said. So what is delight? Delight is the experience of deep pleasure in a person. This, again, is why I think worship is so important, because worship of Jesus, when you worship him and declare the truth of who he is, he stirs delight in us. And we see this in the natural world, right? We, Annie and I were talking on the way back. We, uh, I did a wedding in Tulsa last night. We drove back this morning. And how a, um, a baby naturally looks to the face of its parent and then reflects back whatever they see. And usually what you see in between a parent and a newborn child is the parent is delighting in the child. The parent's just like so in love, so happy, just like, oh, and this baby is just like, what, what's their first view of the world? I'm loved. This, this, I don't know who this person is really yet, but man, they seem to like me a lot. Like, wow, they're smiling. And then what does the baby do? Slowly but surely the baby starts to mirror back their eyes. I love because it's almost like baby's eyes work first. You like smiling. There's like their eyes just get wide and they're like, I don't know how to move my mouth like that yet. But it's like my eyes are saying, I like this. Keep doing that. And I love it. I've got like a big expressive face. So babies always like me because I'm like, I always think I'm like uh, Prince John on Robin Hood. Anybody see that movie when he's in the globe? It's like, ah. it's like, it's like baby's like, oh, wow. I see this guy. And I just like, so I love smiling. They smile back. Um, actually, I love like delight because delight's infectious, right? Like when you delight in something or someone, it, it stirs delight in other people. Actually, I've found this clip online that I wanted to show you. It's just a guy like, going on a subway and just starts laughing just to see what people will do. And I, I love the response. Can we, is that queued up? Let's do it. I love how like, disruptive delight is. It's like people are trying to concentrate on their food. They're like, you can tell they're trying not to, pay, not to laugh. They're trying not to, but it's like once they do, it just... It just disrupts you. It kind of shakes you up. Um, like I said, we were at a wedding last night. I love the look on a groom's face and a bride's face when they see each other. You just see like delight gets, and this is what's cool about delight is delight has to be manifested. It has to be externalized. So there's a smile or there's a laugh or there's like, like this morning I was watching these subway videos. I just started crying. <laughs> Like, cause people are laughing and it just touched me. I was like, oh, laughter. It's just so beautiful. Like, oh, the Lord's, the, the world's in so much pain and all of a sudden you're just like, it's just funny. It just, something has to come out of you. But John, John Orberg says this is really important. Like, right. So like, as we think about delight and we think about worship, the first thing that happens when you see God in reality for who he is, is you realize that God actually delights in you. That's where delight begins. It's not something you muster up for him. It's actually something you come to know about his nature toward you, and it starts to change you. The God of the universe delights in you. 
He loves you. He loves your presence. He loves your prayers. He loves every part about you. He loves you. John Ortberg said this. He said, we won't understand God until we understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. God also knows sorrow. Jesus is remembered, among other things, as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But the sorrow of God, like the anger of God, is his temporary response to a fallen world. That sorrow will be banished forever from his heart on the day that the world is set right. Joy is God's basic character. Joy is God's eternal destiny. Uh, joy is his eternal destiny. God is the happiest being in the universe. So what we get when we look at God is we find out that God is beautiful and that he looks at us in his beauty and says, I love you. Uh, one of the most sacred moments of my life, we got a call that Annie's uh, grandma, my mom, had been uh, diagnosed with terminal leukemia, leukemia. And I love her response. She's like, that's the best news I've heard in a long time. Like she's 92 or something. Like she's ready to go meet Jesus. And so we all got to go to hospice and spend some time with her. And it was just one of the most, the sweetest moments. Uh, Annie got to beside her bed and she like motioned Annie over and Annie said, mom, mom, I love you so much. Thank you so much. And she grabbed Annie's cheeks and she just said, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. And Annie's just going, I love you. She's, you're so beautiful. I love you. You're so beautiful. And I was just like, that's what a walk with Jesus should be like. We look at him and we're like, you're so beautiful. And he's like, I love you. You're so beautiful. I love you. You're so, I, no, you're beautiful. I love you. And it's just like this thing. Because when you realize he's looking over you saying, I delight in you. Zephaniah 3 says, the Lord God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God's fundamental nature over you is loving, joyful delight. It's who he is. And it's not like he is that way because he doesn't know you. He sees everything about you. He knows your every thought, action, motive, and still, he looks at you the way a parent looks at a child and says, oh, I love you forever. Psalm 18, he reached down from on high. He took hold of me, drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Why did Jesus die on the cross to save you? It wasn't just to glorify himself. It was like the motive of his heart is he delights in you enough to suffer and die for you. That's who Jesus is. He delights in you. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. So his delight in us turns into our delight in him. So God delights in us and then we delight back in him. And our delight looks like singing and dancing and laughing and crying um, and shouting. Like, I mean, it's like this, this response that wells up in us of excitement. Um, I, I like to think it's like, it's like a, a, a mom finding out her child is going to have a baby, right? Anybody been around a mom who finds out like their, their first child is going to have a baby? And it's just like, I always think of Elaine, like, it's just like dance and run, like, ah, oh, like, you know, I just love, it's this thing you have to do. Uh, my buddy Jeremy's here. We played really tiny college basketball. What's the tiniest level of college basketball? 
basketball you can play. We did it. And uh, we won a cha- we won like a national championship. And I remember the buzzer sounded and I just took off running. And I ran like five laps. People were trying to hug me and I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I was like juking people because I just needed to like get it out. I need light. And then we were laughing over because like guys you didn't expect were crying. And we're like, that picture is going to be forever of you crying. You cried about our championship, which doesn't really matter. But it's like, it was awesome. Like guys were like, ooh, just crying. You're like, this is so great. Delight comes out. It has to come out. It has to be shown. Why do we do confetti cannons on Easter? Because we want to delight in the resurrection and we want to awaken delight. Annie sent me a picture from Facebook somewhere and it was like somebody put our service on their Facebook page and she zoomed in and it's like a, kind of like a middle-aged guy who he doesn't go to church here all the time, but he comes on Easter. So I just know him as like an Easter guy. It's the happiest middle-aged man you've ever seen in your life. Like his face is beet red. He's like sweating and he has the biggest smile on his face and it's so funny because I just love that I love that he comes here to like experience delight even if just once a year to like awaken that in people we do cake for the same reason and it's hilarious because people get offended by delight somebody actually like commented on that Facebook page what a way what a bad use of the church's budget to buy these confetti cannons and I almost was just like thanks Judas uh but then I uh I remembered I was on Annie's Facebook page. It wasn't mine. So that that would have been pretty funny if Annie like started a Facebook (laughs) war with somebody. But Judas is like, how dare you break that perfume on Jesus when we could give that money to the poor? And Jesus is like, you don't understand what happens when somebody loves me with their whole heart. They just, they just, they do radical, crazy things, right? For me, when they just love me in that way. So we delight in God, but then what's really amazing is as we delight in God corporately, we begin to delight in each other in a way that is only possible when we know that God delights in us. We delight in him, and then we look horizontally, and we start to see people in a whole different light. We stop trying to change them. We start, stop judging and condemning them, and we start seeing like, you delight in him too? <gasps> yes. Like when you love the same things, it's so easy to hang out with people who love the same things. But Jesus is really the only person in the world that we all love simultaneously in the same way. He's done the same thing. Everything else will just always scatter into different groups. You love baseball. I love football. You love this. I love that. This like joins us together and go like, you too. Isn't he good? Isn't he amazing? Oh, this is so great. And it creates the most unlikely delight in people. And that, again, reflects God. So we delight in each other, in God. And then finally what happens is we end up delighting in what he's made. So it's this, this like, I would call it like a cycle of delight. And I have one slide today, and I drew this this morning on my iPad. Can you see it up there? Isn't that awesome? That's what you get with a Bible college degree. <laughs> that level of artistic expression. So you see the people, they're like beholding him and they get this revelation, the God of the universe that I've come to know through Jesus Christ, he delights in me. And what do they do? They delight in him. And what happens? They start to delight in each other. And then they start to delight in what God's made, all of his creation, that your delight in all the things that God's made gets purified by your delight in him. If you delight in the things God's made more than you delight in him, that's called idolatry. 
Romans 1 talks about that. If you do that, your mind will get darkened to the point where you will move into all sorts of things you never thought you could get to. And it all starts with loving things God made more than loving the God who made them. So when we see him, we send the church on him, we actually love him first. We get to love the world that he's made in this beautiful way. And you get to enjoy cars and mountains and steaks and bourbon and all the weird stuff that humans just love. They just, they love the stuff of the world, technology, fashion, all this stuff. It's good stuff that God made, but we don't love it more than him. So we actually begin to delight in the thing he's made in the right way. And then what happens when you do that? You actually turn your delight in the stuff he's made back to delight in him. So you actually take your children and you take the home he's given you, you take the automobile you travel in, you take the clean water you're drinking and as you drink it, you actually go, thank you God for what you've done for me, for what you've given me and you begin to delight in him and then what happens, you behold him again. <laughs> and then you're like, he delights in me. I, look at all the stuff, he, they gave me this and then you just start this cycle. And so I would just say that the church should be a community of delight. This cycle of delight should exist in the church. And I think a church that's full of delight is actually a compelling picture to the world. And um, <laughs> so with this, I, I just look at this cycle and I'm going like, this is why when people ask me, why do you guys worship so much? It's because we delight in him. We did it as an act of faith, believing that it could actually transform us. But as we did it, it did transform us. And now we just do it because we're back at that point again. And now we're like, well, how could we go back to what we did before? We've got to delight in him again. And then we've got to do this thing, delight in each other. And then we've got to like, and we're just in this cycle forevermore. And we want as many people as possible to enter this cycle. We don't need you in a program. We don't need you in a class. We don't need your money. We don't need you to change your behavior. What we would like for you to do is have an opportunity to see him. That's it. All of this is so that you might come into contact with the living God. And then we say, our work's done until he tells us to do anything different. And you know what I found? He has yet to tell me anything different. <laughs> it's like, no, no, just keep doing that. And I love the stories of people who come to Skyline. I meet them after five or six weeks or a month or two. And they're like, my life has already changed. And they're like, you have nothing to do with that. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that good? So, so this church isn't about a person. It's not about a leader. It's not about giftedness. It's not about money. It's not about power. It's about his presence that we delight in him. So I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. So I, I just want you to consider what it would look like for you to actually take part in this. And that literally this moment is a chance for you to delight in him. And I love that the sun keeps kind of like coming back. It's like, it's like, oh, it's like, I mean, it's like, this, this world's amazing, friends. God is so good. He's incredible. And so what's amazing about God is he has so many attributes that are delightful to us. You can focus on any, anyone, his mercy, his goodness, his joy, his grace, right? His power, his creativity, his faithfulness, his love. But the reason we, we uh, when you say, okay, but why does all this have to start with worship? Because it's, well, so one is because that Psalm 149, it says, this is what we do when we delight in God. We sing. 
and we dance and we lift our hands and we laugh and we abandon ourselves. So that's, that's one. But also because there's something about music that allows us to like relax into hearing and seeing things that we wouldn't otherwise hear or see. Uh, so a guy named Mike Bickle at uh, International House of Prayer, he said, prayer meetings without worship is like stacking rocks. Anybody ever been to one of those prayer meetings? You're just like, I know this is good. We should pray. But man, is it boring. And that guy, like his prayers are 30 minutes long. You know, but it's like something about when you worship God, prayer flows so easily. You just start speaking to him. You start meditating him on him. You start contemplating. You open the Bible. And you, so it just creates an atmosphere for people to come into contact with him. Um, so this morning, I just want you to stand up. I want you to close your eyes for just a second. And we're just going to sing a song. And the song's literally, I love your presence. I love that. It's like, we want to get to the place where we're like, God, we love you for you. And we don't need you to do anything else for us to love you. So just bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. And if you, you have already entered this cycle, like in this church, I just want to say, keep going. Don't break the cycle. Keep delighting in him. Keep delighting in the people he's given you to delight in him together. Keep delighting in the stuff he's given you and let it just keep flowing. I just want to invite you this morning if you're like, man, I need delight. I need freedom. I need joy. I need the stuff that comes from just being able to worship him and let go of all the stuff. I just want to say that's possible right now. Right now in this moment, you have the opportunity to gaze by faith say, God, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to feel your delight over me. So you can do that, but you could also come to pray. We'll have our prayer team up here, and you might just say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Can you help me with this? Because I need a breakthrough. All right, so Father, we just declare this morning that we are made to delight in you receive this cosmic truth that the God of the universe delights in us. It's a revolutionary thing. There's no other God like you who delights in his people the way you do. So we just receive that this morning. I pray that that receiving of your delight would turn back into delighting you, into worshiping you, that you have set this church on this path to say we will never graduate from the first commandment to love you with our whole heart and to call others to do the same. So thank you for your presence, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power and the way you love to reveal Jesus. I pray that you would do that right now, that, that people in this room as we sing would see the face of Jesus smiling on them just like a brand new baby, we would reflect back your smile in worship. I pray in Jesus' name. Let's sing.